Hello, you're listening to the Football v Homophobia podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Holmes. And in this episode, brought to you in association with Sports Media LGBT+, we're joined by Zach Leader, who plays Sunday League football in Lincolnshire, to learn about an incident in which homophobic abuse was directed at him during a match earlier this year. Zach's name will be familiar to some of you listening, I'm sure. His coming out story made headlines back in 2018, at a time when he was competing in gravity bike racing. And having achieved some notable results in that discipline, he even landed a British LGBT Awards nomination, something he only learned about much later, as you'll hear. The bulk of this episode, however, is about the incident of discriminatory language, and Zach talks to me about what happened, how it made him feel, and the effects of the abuse. There was a disciplinary charge and a process that was followed at county FA level, something which Zach explains. It's very interesting to learn how these cases go through different stages, the hearing that takes place, the outcome that is reached, and the aftermath. Inevitably, those involved in such cases, particularly at a local level, end up meeting again in fixtures that same season or in subsequent seasons. Zach reflects on all this, and following on from Mental Health Awareness Week, and in the week of the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, I'm sure you'll agree that it's an important conversation that tells us much about the ongoing challenges of being gay and out in competitive men's football. Whether you've been with us before on previous episodes or you're hitting play for the first time, thank you. This pod supports the Football v Homophobia campaign, an international initiative that's all about making the game truly beautiful for LGBTQ plus people and allies. Check out our website at footballvhomophobia.com and our social channels to learn more. And here's my chat with Zach Leader. Hi to Zach Leader, who's our guest on this episode of the Football v Homophobia podcast. Zach, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. No, you're very, very welcome. And of course, we're going to be talking a bit about a challenging, very difficult experience that you had in amateur football in recent months. And we'll kind of be exploring that. Some of the language... Um, as we get into that, some people might find that offensive. So just a little bit of a heads up that, you know, we will be dealing with some quite um, difficult words that, that you obviously encountered during this incident. But before we get into all of that, let's learn a little bit more about you. So um, some people might recognize the name because your visibility as, a, as an athlete who's LGBTQ kind of has come to prominence in the past, but in a sport different to football. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so... Um, I came out, uh, when was it now? It must have been about three, four years ago. Um, not really not really thinking anything of it too much at the time. Um, but at the time I was racing, uh, I was gravity racing. Um, and I was just about to, I think I'd either done one year at the World Championships, I was about to do, um, about to do my first. I seemed to think it was about to do my first. But um, yeah, I was working my way up the ranks of, of gravity racing at the time. Um, and obviously came out and it, it made local news to start with. Um, uh, and then it very, very quickly went fairly global um, in terms of I woke up one morning and saw I was on gay times and um, and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, one thing came led to another from that. I obviously did the I did a motorsport radio um, podcast and, and that really was where it took off, I think. So, um, yeah, that, that was a bit of a 15 minutes of fame, I suppose, in that sense. Well, I certainly remember it. I think this was back in early 2018, uh, if memory serves. 
And I remember reading a bit on outsports.com is a website in the US that we work very closely with. And also your nomination, you were nominated for the British LGBT awards in the sports category, alongside some very well-known athletes in that category. But you told me that was something you didn't actually know anything about. No, I didn't even realize that I'd been, um, that I'd been nominated. Um, it was only when I, I got an email for, I think it was just for a study or something like that. And they said, um, oh, I got your contact details from uh, British LGBT awards. And I was like, sorry. So I had a quick Google and realized that I'd been, been nominated for it. I was like, oh Jesus, I didn't even know. It was like two years later. Um, so yeah, no, that was, that was a, a funny old um, realization. But um, I sort of wish I had found out at the time, actually. Well, uh, it doesn't sound like there was very joined up uh, planning for that. But uh, yeah, but maybe people don't know too much about gravity bikes. And maybe just in a nutshell, you can tell us a little bit about what that actually is. Because it's a sport that you obviously were hugely passionate about. But for various reasons, um, maybe to do with the pandemic or maybe a few other things, it's not a sport that, you're, that you've competed in for the last year or so. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, so... Gravity racing is basically just, uh, or, or gravity bike racing was just a modified sort of BMX bike that was adapted to race down down hills fast. That was the essence of it. It was a very, um, I want to say a DIY sort of thing. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. You know, you built built these bikes at home. They weren't built on a massive budget. It was very budget racing. Um, and then you'd, you'd get your protective gear on. You'd go racing down hills. You'd have a cracking time. Um, and obviously, I worked fairly hard to make sure that, that was you know, built up and it had a good, um, you know, public image and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, we, we got to the point where it was you know, relatively big. We got British championships and the world championships and it was, um, it was doing really well. And unfortunately now since the pandemic, it has taken its toll on it a bit. I mean, I think there must be one or two events for, for that sort of thing per year now in, in the country, which is, it is a shame. Um, so hopefully it, you know, it builds back up to the point where they're getting seven or eight or nine, you know races a year again um but i mean the reason i stopped was i decided before covid that i was going to stop to be honest with you because i just i'd lost the passion for it i just i'd done everything that i wanted to do i finished fourth in the world championships and i i knew that i couldn't really do much better than that i couldn't give any better couldn't give any more than what i did um uh, yeah I, fin I think i finished second in the british championships um in like 2018 and, and 2019 or, or whatever years it was um and yeah i just felt that was the right time just to to stop and pursue something else because i'd lost the excitement for it i used to every day be thinking about it and every day you know we wanted to work on it and i just lost that just lost the feeling for it which it can happen so um yeah i think it was the end of 2019 or midway through 2019 i decided that that, that was it and football has always been a huge love of yours and you kind of found your way back into playing the sport at a local competitive level. Um, maybe tell us a bit about your football story as opposed to your gravity bike story then. Yeah, so um, start of, uh, well, it was the end of 2018 and um, I got back into playing football again. Started at a local six-a-side league. Um, just absolutely loved it. I, the, the excitement and the enjoyment I had from the racing was now in fully with the, the football. You know, absolutely loved it. Um, I, I played and was passionate about football when I was younger, especially like, especially through, um, you know, getting to the age of like nine, 10, played for a team when I was, was nine. Um, and then when I went to secondary school, it was, and I, I don't regret anything, but I wish I had not stopped um, 
playing football, but I was effectively bullied out of football from the age of maybe 10, 10 to 19, I'd say. Um, and anyone who, you know, knows football fairly well or, you know, football development fairly well is that those are the prime years for, you know, developing things like first touch and, and passing ability, all that sort of thing. So um, I missed those golden years. And obviously I got back into it um, at the end of 2018. Um, and it, it took a lot to, to get back in the rhythm, it, I must admit. So like things like first touch and shooting, passing, all that sort of, all the basics that you would expect someone at that age to, to have nailed by then. Um, certainly didn't, uh, didn't come back straight away, let's put it that way. Um, but then start of 2019, signed for a Sunday league team, um, local Sunday league, and then been playing ever since, literally pretty much every week, every, ever, ever since. Um, even through the pandemic, obviously being at home, was practising, um, just kicking a ball against the wall and trying to improve myself as much as possible, losing weight, uh, doing loads of exercise. was completely, you know, committed to the cause. And you're a, a Lincolnshire boy, but you support Spurs, right? I do support Spurs. Yeah, there is a story behind um, supporting Spurs. So I, I believe part of my, or one side of my family, I think it's um, my dad's side, I think, um, there's North London roots there, um, and it all it stems from that uh, that part of it. So, um, yeah, that, that's the reason why uh, why Spurs. But I've always had a, a you know soft spot for Spurs. So, um, yeah, there, there was no uh, major decision making in that. Uh, well, I'm I'm a West Country boy, but my dad supported Spurs as well. So there's I think there was something about obviously the teams in the 80s uh, they had a kind of prestige, didn't they? They were obviously a bit more successful back then, winning a few more cups etc then they perhaps have contributed to the trophy cabinet in more recent years but yeah um, I completely understand how you can get attracted to Spurs even though you're not necessarily living in North London so getting back into local league foot football in the area so you mentioned the kind of being bullied out of the game in your um, experience when when you were in your teens and that sounds like a really sort of challenging uh, memory to, to kind of reflect upon but you were able to kind of put that behind you uh, was there any kind of connection there to kind of finding yourself like learning more about yourself did did that have an impact on on your relationship with football i think um the god's honest truth is that um the 2018 world cup i think had a major impact on finding that love for football again because obviously i was in that process i was in that phase of stopping to enjoy what i was doing in terms of the racing side of things you know, that, that ball had already started rolling. Um, and they just, I'm, I'm a firm believer that some things do happen for a reason. They, you know, some things happen at the right time. And it was, I, it seems too much of a coincidence that, you know, I, I stopped the love of racing just as the football side of things started to, and they just sort of nicely met and, and fit together. So um, I refound that love of football from the World Cup and then just went and, you know, ran with it since, since then. And, Never really looked back, to be honest with you. And to, to get into grassroots amateur football, you know, a competitive level, at a Sunday league level, when you're an out gay man, there's still not that many, um, you know, role models or much representation. I, you, maybe you can tell me differently, but it, it strikes me through some of the stories that I've been able to tell in my journalism career and some of the people I've spoken to who play at that level, they often feel like, yeah, they're the only LGBT plus person who's playing the game at that at that level and they don't know of many others uh, even across the country did you feel like slightly different in that way or did the hopefully the environment was 
welcoming, was inclusive, and you felt able to, able to be yourself in that space? Yeah, I mean, coming from, obviously, when I was bullied out of it at, at school, I was always felt that um, I struggled with being, you know, that feeling of being accepted and that feeling of belonging. So um, to get back into it was a massive jump. It, you know, mentally, it was a, a, it felt like a really, really big sort of step to take, but it was one that I felt... I've, I've got to take it. I've got. To, I can't shy away from, you know, want doing what I want to do. Um, so, and then obviously joining a, you know, a, a local Lincolnshire league. I mean, the area itself is not the most. This is going to sound really, really, really wrong to say, but it's not the most. It's not diverse. It's not like, you know, you compare Lincolnshire to London. It's a million miles apart in that sense. Um, so, yeah. You know, I was massively accepted, you know, by that point I'd already come out. So there was no having to come out to people. They just sort of naturally found out through, you know, social media and all that sort of thing anyway. Um, didn't, didn't you know, go to the point of hiding it because there was no need at that point. Um, and yeah, everyone was, um, you know, massively accepting. There was the odd, you know, you get you get that football banter, you get a bit of joking mess every now and again. But I quite like that in a sense because it adds to that feeling of being, you know, that feeling of being accepted and being part of the team. And you, after a while, playing in this environment, which it sounds great, and, you know, I think that's really encouraging, actually, to think that, you know, some people might think, well, God, Lincolnshire region, that is, as you say, not renowned for being particularly diverse. Like, you know, what will the atmosphere be like? What will the environment be like? But it sounds, it was a, a welcoming space and you were able to make friends there pretty easily and, uh, and you know, go forward as part of the team, but then, you know, you do switch clubs. Um, and then of course we're leading up to this incident that happened in January, 2022, which you wanted to talk a little bit about today to raise some awareness. So perhaps you can kind of just talk to us a little bit about that story about switching clubs and then what happened in the incident. Yeah. So, um, there was, there was a few reasons why I chose to leave, um, you know, the club that I first, first joined. I mean, the direction of the club that it was going in, I, wasn't totally aligned with I thought you know I wanted something slightly different and my mindset massively changed through especially through the third lockdown we had um you know I started as daft as it sounds started reading you know Aunt Middleton books and looking a bit more at you know mindset and you know having no negativity so I made a really conscious effort just to you know have a full clear out of any negative things that were you know in my life negative people any negative situations I would put myself in would just completely take myself out of, not because, um, you know, I was scared or anything like that. It just, I didn't, I was I'm tired of having to to deal with it and sit there and, you know, think oh, I'm not so keen on these people, you know, anything like that. Um, so that was basically the decision to leave the, the club I was at that I didn't feel it was, you know, an entirely positive um, environment for me that, it just needed cutting away. So I needed a new change, new start. Um, was really particular about the team that I chose to join as well. Obviously, you get to know teams when you play against them. You sort of, you speak to players after games and the management, all that sort of thing. And you see the social media um, presence that other teams in the league will have. Um, and that, that led me to the decision to join Fedoras um, because they were very much a family or family orientated team um, everyone was part of the Fedora's family and, and still is um, everyone was accepted um, 
before I even turned up to my first training session, they knew fully about my sexuality and that side of me and they could not be more accepting. So for me, I knew straight away before I even turned up for, you know, the first training session that I'd made the right decision. Um, and yeah, I just I had to make the had to make the jump when I did, and I'm absolutely glad it was one of the best things I've ever done. Um, because change can be you know, can be a nerve wracking thing. I mean, I before last year, year before, I was petrified of change and I hated it, hated the thought of it. Um, whereas now, I just just throw myself into it now. Um, but yeah, obviously, this then um, at the time didn't seem like a big thing. There was a little bit of um, you know, negativity around me leaving. And there was like, obviously there's the, the, the traitor remarks that, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, you're not welcome back here and all this sort of thing. And, um, which I don't really understand, to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, no one's going to stay at one club forever. Players do move on, you know, priorities change, all that sort of thing. So um, I've, I've never really understood it. I still don't. And I don't think I ever will. Um, but Unfortunately, some people can't be happy for others, and that's just the way it is, I suppose. Um, but yeah, then January 2022, so earlier this year, um, playing uh, playing the game against them. I'd already played them uh, once or twice uh, this season, played them in pre-season, no issues at all. Um, played them um, in another league game, uh, I think that was away, and again, no issues at all. Everyone seemed, you know, our you know, well played. Obviously, there was nothing. There was no, um, no issues. And then, twenty minutes into about 15, 20 minutes into the the game in January, um, and as I'm running sort of down to chase a centre back now, because I play as a, play as a striker. I did this season, um, chasing the ball down to try and win it back from a centre back or just apply a bit of pressure. And just heard a comment from the sideline um, that. Sometimes, sometimes when you hear something, you sort of have to do a double take. Like, did I really just sort of hear that? But it was, it was absolutely clear as day that I, I didn't even have to really think about it. I sort of, I stopped for a minute and thought, oh, I have heard that, and there wasn't even. I just, hundred percent heard that, and had to sort of stop myself from turning around and going, "What did you?" The natural human reaction for, you know, in that moment, I had to stop myself doing that. Basically, I went straight to the referee, reported it, and um, and then the referee dealt with it in the way that he did, which, you know, all fairness to the referee, did absolutely everything he could and did everything to the book and how he should have done. So, um, and so yeah, just it's to, just... just... Just to let people listening know, so we did yeah. warn them that they might hear some offensive language. So can you tell people what you did here and, and how it made you feel? Yeah, so, um, yeah, they basically just shouted uh, gay cunt um, from, from the sideline, which... It's not the worst, don't get me wrong, it's not the worst thing that anybody's probably ever shouted from sideline and the, there's going to be worse things. But um, yeah, it wasn't, I always, it's, as daft as it sounds, I always knew that there would be something at, at, at Sunday League level eventually. I knew it would happen. Um, it happened at Six Aside, you know, a few months beforehand and, and that was dealt with as well. Um, but I was not expecting it from that, that team, I must admit. Um, and I just wasn't expecting it in the manner that it did. And at the time, I just sort of tried to brush it off as best I could because I had a game to focus on. It was just trying to, I know we're not professionals, but try and stay professional and, and focus on what I had to do. 
and worry about it later. Let whoever needed to deal with it, deal with it. And, um, and obviously they did. But since then, it's not, it's, I'd be lying if I said it didn't massively play on my mind because at the end of the day, football is, but you're supposed to go play amateur football to enjoy it and, um, and to take it however seriously you want and put the best in. And all of a sudden that, that safe space that I thought I had in, you know, Sunday league football was, felt not there anymore. It felt like it wasn't a safe space and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be who, who I am um, doing the thing that I love most. And that was really, it, it was more difficult to deal with than I thought it might be. Um, and I think there was a point, especially when trying to deal with it, that I'd maybe lied to myself that I said, I, I said to myself, it's fine. You've, you've dealt with it. It's fine. It's been, you know, it's, it's going through the right processes and, and actually, I look back now and I think, actually, you weren't all right. Well, well let's go through as it happened in, in the moment, because you mentioned there, you know, you've heard it. It's been shouted from the sidelines. You're not sure, of course, who said it because you're focusing on the ball, you're focusing on the match. But um, you can explain a little bit more about what happened next. You mentioned the referee um, was alerted to what had happened. And I believe a couple of your teammates also heard what was shouted. So how did those sequences of events play out? Um, so it literally went from obviously hearing what I heard, um, sort of looked over my shoulder to see if I could see who said it. And obviously couldn't see it. There's a group of, you know, 20, 25 people there. So there's no way I was obviously going to see who said it. Didn't recognise the voice. Um, the ball went out of play. So I went straight up to the referee um, and said, can you, I think I said something along the lines of, can you deal with um, them on the sideline? Because I've just had some homophobic abuse. And he said, um, yeah, right. Let me. Uh, I'll. Uh, I'll keep an eye on it. I'll deal with it. Um, meanwhile, obviously on the sideline, the my my manager for that game did hear something um, and was, for want of a better phrase, going off his nut at uh, at the other team. Obviously at the sideline, and it was starting to get a bit um, tense because he was he was absolutely full credit to him. Um, being as you know massively supportive as he could, he was absolutely losing it. Um, so the referee stopped the game, went over to have a word. Obviously, explained what I'd reported, um, and later the referee said he knew something had been said because of the way the reaction was. I mean, if there's no question about whether something was said or not, because people wouldn't react that way if if there wasn't. Um, had a word with both um, both managers. Said if it happens again that you know, uh, the game would be abandoned. Before that, a few of my teammates said, if we hear it one more time, we're walking off and we don't come back on. So we were one step away, away as far as I'm aware, from walking off the pitch and, and not carrying on with the game. Um, that's how, you know, that's how close we got to, to, to stopping it there and then, really. Um, and from that, the game was continued. And it's incredibly difficult to be in the eye of the storm, like in an incident like that. You need to, you, and it sounds... Um, absolutely like you felt the need to stand up for yourself you couldn't let this abuse go uh unspoken um you know you had you had to, to to raise it with the referee and it sounds like you had the support of your manager and your teammates but it just goes to show you know how these things escalate um it sounds like you know you mentioned your manager was very irate with the people in that group whoever said it it sounds like it was supporters um, but you didn't know that, I presume. You didn't know who had said it or, or who had shouted it. And, and then 
you know, you've got you still got to play out the rest of the match. There was still quite a lot of time left, so I presume the atmosphere was difficult to play the rest of the match in. Yeah, I mean, while obviously all this conversation was going on with the the two managers and the referee, I, I made a very conscious effort just to to walk away from it, let them get as far away from it as possible, just have a drink, just try and stay with it. I mean, the thing that I was most most concerned about at the time actually was that my mom, my, my stepdad, and um, you know my my little three-year-old niece was there, so that was that was the thing I was most concerned about. Is that I, like I didn't want them to have to witness that. And um, luckily, they came around and you know made sure I was all right. And um, I think they could see what, what was building, so they they went off and you know left left everything to it. Um, but it was I, th- I was sort of almost in autopilot a little bit because I was just a bit like right, take yourself out of it, don't. It was almost like a run through step by step processes. It's not. It wasn't something that I'd massively had to deal with before because it, the six side incident. It was just mid game. Nobody really heard it, so I just, you know, carried on. Um, which I think maybe might have influenced, you know, why I dealt with it the way I did this time because I know that maybe wasn't the right way to do it last time. Um, but yeah, it was. It's hard to. You can't prepare for that. You can't prepare for having to deal with that sort of situations you've sort of very much got to deal with it in the moment on your toes and try and be as hard as it is try and be rational about what you do because ultimately the way you react to anything like that um can shape the whole story of it if that if that makes sense so you complete the match and having reported it to the referee you know it's going to go in the referee's report um how does that um evolution of of what happened next go because does the club decide to report it does is that a decision that's taken by the manager or by the chairman um you know what role did you play in that how aware were you that things were were moving forwards um so i knew full well that it was going to go in the referee's report i mean he told us after the game um you know that was that was going to happen i mean the rest of the game played out nothing really nothing happened um obviously the the sideline, I think, on their side were then keen for for me to make mistakes in the game after that. And, you know, they, they were, you could tell the atmosphere was very much against me at that point, um, which I later found out why. But, um, yeah, we, we finished the match. Um, we won the game, got back to the pub and then obviously saw various reaction on, on social media because I was still friends with, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of the team on, on Facebook and various things. So I saw the reaction. Um, to which the club, um, you know, Fedoras that, that I play for weren't, they weren't happy with that reaction at all. And they weren't happy that it spilled onto social media in the way that it did. So they felt the right response was to put a statement out on their, on their team social media saying that what happens, that the fact that they, you know, they're not happy about this at all. They'll be going to the FA and going through the full process and making sure something is done about it. Um and it was sort of while all this was happening, I was just sort of it was weird. I was sort of sort of obviously trying to stay in, you know, fairly positive, high spirits and, you know, enjoy the rest of the day as, as what I could. Um, but it sort of almost got a little bit surreal um, at that point. It almost got a bit like, is this really happening? Um, which, yeah, it, it was a funny, funny old day the rest of the day that after that. I was sort of making sure that. Because you start to self start to doubt yourself a little bit, um, you start to go, "Well, that I def- definitely did hear that right." And 
I sort of had to ask a couple of people around me who also heard it. Like, I did hear what I heard. And they was like, yeah, no, you definitely did. You, you know, you're not, you didn't hear things. And, um, so, yeah, the process from then was, um, you know, it went to the FA. Uh, they then investigated it. There was obviously, a, we all had to file individual reports of what we heard and where it was and all this sort of thing. You know, fill in, uh, fill in some files and send them off, um, which then went to, to the county FA. Um, they obviously then will, you know, they look through all that evidence and, you know, determined what what went on. Um, and they originally, obviously, uh, they, they said um, that the team in question were, you know, were guilty. They were going to find them. The, the team um, appealed that. And then it went to um, hearing, which we all had to individually then re-give our, um, our evidence over a Zoom meeting um one by one so it was it was a little bit courty is how i sort of um i think I ended up describing it. it was that you know one person at a time you had to wait wait to be called through and then you'd have to, you know you'd be cross-examined and um you know they'd uh, the they'd have to ask you obviously not be biased and make sure that you know they ask the right questions and do it the right way and, and all this sort of thing or to what they feel is the right way um so, but it was a very long-winded process. I mean, it took months in the end. I mean, I can't remember when the decision was actually made. I think, I want to say end of March, start of April. Um, so that's four months there from, you know, incident happening to it, from the terms of the FA being concluded. And, you know, during this process, like obviously the, the match happens in January, you don't get a decision until the end of March. And through all that time, does that put a lot of pressure on you? Do you feel... Um, you know, does that begin to affect kind of your your game or does it affect other relationships that you have with, with people? Did, did you feel that pressure that was mounting up on you? Um, I think subconsciously, subconsciously, I should say, to start with, um, certainly the, the first game after I did, because there were comments in the following game. Now, they weren't, they weren't abusive comments by any means, but they were like... Um, the opposite team would be saying things like, oh, be careful what you say. They'll put a statement on Facebook about it. Or, um, you know, there were just things to get inside our heads, which granted, you know, there's the mental aspect of the game, but there were certain things that I didn't necessarily agree with, but that's, you know, it's by the by now. But from that game, that next game onwards, that pressure slowly just started to build and build and build. And I, I noticed my game was dropping off the face of the earth and there's various reasons for it. But I think, I mean, I've recently, you know, I struggle sometimes with self-confidence, especially when it comes to, to football, because of the way I've come from with the gravity race. And I was, because it was just me, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a team thing. So I always pushed myself to get the absolute very best out of myself and achieve the very best that I could and, and always leave a race day feeling like I'd achieved absolutely everything I could. So to then obviously come to football and do that and be part of a team to then, you know, I'd obviously have feelings of not feeling like I'm pulling away, not achieving what I want to. And ultimately, as a striker, you, you're judged on goals scored and I wasn't scoring goals and, or I, I wasn't even creating them. So um, there was that side of it and feeling like I wasn't, you know, I was no good and maybe I should stop and all this sort of thing. So it all, it all snowballs and it all comes into it. And then there's obviously the over, overlying thoughts of, oh, well, you know, maybe uh, it's because of, of, of this and uh, because of the incident and um, yeah it just 
mentally, without even realising it, left me quite a, a low and a dark place. I mean, there was a point where I even said, I am absolutely quitting playing football. I can't do it anymore. Um, and there was this thought, the, you know, late night thoughts of thinking, um, you know, maybe this is why there's, um, you know, they gave you this sort of abuse because, you know, you are a bit crap and you just so happen to be, be gay and all this sort of thing. So um, it brought a lot of things out and, especially things of questioning, you know, myself in, in terms of my sexuality and am I, am I actually as happy as I, I thought I might be and do I feel as confident about it? So there's all sorts of thought patterns that unfortunately came from that that I would never have expected to have done, if that makes sense. Yeah, I completely understand. I mean, look, we're talking in Mental Health Awareness Week and one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because it is the International Day Against Homophobia biphobia and transphobia that's coming up in in the middle of may so both of these things it's, it's important you know to make people aware about though you know the challenges of, of going through that process of, of even in the moment you know saying something to the referee being conscious that this is going to escalate you know it's, it's kind of out of your hands almost as soon as you've, you've raised it as an incident that it will it will follow its own course but that's going to have an impact on you and and naturally I suppose one of the reasons why you you did it is because you feel a solidarity for other gay guys or bi guys who play the game um that you know when these incidents happen you need to stand up and challenge it because otherwise if you let it slide then these things will just continue yeah and this is it i mean yes when it happened the, you know the first time at, at six side like i said it i did report it and i did um you know challenge it after the game at the time which Really, I, you know, looking back, I should have just challenged it when, as and when it happened. But I'm very, very conscious that there's not, there's not a lot of us in terms of, you know, out actively playing, you know, um, f footballers. And there's probably more than, you know, I realise because I don't, don't know, you know, everyone in the, in the sport, you're not, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of us, but certainly at this sort of grassroots level, you know, local Sunday league, there isn't. Um, so when things like that do happen, I'm now a firm believer that you've got to challenge it because, like you say, it's just going to happen again. They'll think it's acceptable and you think, oh, well, he is not affected him. Let's go a bit, you know, let's say something worse next time. You know what I mean? So I, th I, it, I think it is important. And if I'd have not challenged it that day when it happened, I'd argue I'd maybe even be in a worse place than, you know, I am now. Um, so. And this, we, we speak, you know, massively about feeling, you know, having pride and all that sort of thing. And it's not something I've necessarily always been not related to, but just not really. Well, I, the best way to, that I could put it is I've never been massively out there for, like, you know, having LGBT flags everywhere and all that. sort. I've not massively been with that because I've not felt the need to, whereas I'm now learning that actually there is a need. Um, especially like now I, I wear obviously rainbow laces and all that sort of thing. And I wouldn't even think twice to put them in my boots anymore because it's just not, it's just important to have that visibility and that, um, and show that not only are, you know, are there out footballers at such a low level of football because at the end of the day it's, it's grassroots. Anybody can start playing grassroots, which I think shows how important it is to have that visibility because anybody can start playing. I completely agree. I understand very much where you're coming from. I, I suppose 
the football v homophobia campaign in itself is very much geared towards kind of education and trying to um let people in the game understand about the you know, the effects that anti-LGBTQ discrimination would have on on a player such as yourself, and I suppose that's largely you know what you've what you've done through playing for Fedoras and for your previous club is there would be an element of education that you've delivered just from being part of those teams. So for this incident in particular, you know you mentioned the social media reactions, and I had a look at some of the stuff that you sent over and and on the website, and there seemed to be. You know, people were struggling to understand how um, they'd obviously supported you or they felt that they'd supported you because, you know, you were a part of the club and uh, and you know they obviously didn't have a, any problem with you being gay or and, and anything to do with that. But it was almost like they felt wounded in, in a sense that you'd made this this um, this report, you know, that you'd brought it to to the table and they felt that that was somehow um, unappreciative of the support that they that they that they they've given you and it's I, I think you know your story is particularly important for helping people to understand what being an ally means because yeah you can support somebody in football who's lgbtq but you can't just turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to like abuse when it happens just because it's uncomfortable for you yeah and i think the problem is is that the 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 attitude i certainly get from them now is that if you're not with us you're very much against us um so they're they're response to it was that well it didn't happen and they they still as far as i'm aware many out you know to this day still believe that nothing actually happened you know nothing was said um he's making it up i mean one person said it was you know for tactical gain i mean i don't know what tactical gain i would get from making something like that up um because it just doesn't there, there isn't what a tactical gain to be had if anything i'd be you know making it harder for myself so um but yeah no it there's very much a, if you're not with us, you're against us. And, you know, just because, granted, some of them may not have heard anything. They'll have been, you know, engrossed in a game or their own conversations or anything like that. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, and I think that's been, that you know, it's, it has been forgotten that, you know, things can happen and, in, you know, you've not necessarily heard. I mean, it's the classic phrase of, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, did it really fall? I mean, of course it did, you know, so... Yeah, the reaction from it, I, I just didn't get, I mean, at all. The whole thing with reporting it as well, it was that it wasn't necessarily, I didn't want to inflict, you know, a big fine on them. It, it was never about them getting fined and them getting punished or anything like that. It was about the FA acknowledging that, you know, this has happened and this is happening at this level and, you know, the right procedure needs to be in place to deal with it, um, you know, and the right support needs to be there. Um, which not to not to have a dig, but I don't think there is at the minute. I certainly didn't feel like there was. Um, and that, you know, it's dealt with in the right way. And that support is shown a lot more. Don't get me wrong, it is shown. Um, and, you know, they obviously actively take part in Stonewall's campaign for Rainbow Laces and the football versus homeo homophobia um, campaign as well. But there's still more that needs to be done. I think that that can get forgotten because almost at this level it's like well there's not that many out there so what it's it's not a major issue and for for people like me it, it is and it can have a massive knock-on effect especially with mental health um so that that was the whole purpose of reporting it, it wasn't to to punish them in, in a sense that was never the, the forefront of, of reporting it at all um but 
unfortunately, that's just that's just how it's happened. They're one of their, you know, supporters, and I'm sure there are lots of people in that team who, you know, are disgusted by it. If someone's going, some of them are going to have heard it and they're just not admitting it. Um, but even if they had heard it, I'm sure some of them would have been disgusted by it. But the fact that they've not turned around and said, been open to the fact that it could have happened. Um, said, look, we apologise if this has happened. We will do a full, you know, look into finding out if and who and, and dealing with it, you know, until that, that hasn't happened. They've just outright said it's not, you know, it's not happened. You're lying. You're making up to, to you know, to, to ruin the name of our club. And I've almost forgotten the sort of person I am. I'm not that sort of person. So, yeah, it's just, a, it's been a very bizarre way it's been dealt with from, from their side. And ultimately, you know, the right the right action has been taken um but it doesn't it's not necessarily fixed the problem it's just covered over the cracks of it i think and you know we've not mentioned the name of the club uh, is part of this conversation that that wasn't important to you to to have that and it and it tallies with what you've just said it wasn't about you know punishing that club in particular yes they received a fine uh, as part of the county FA disciplinary process, I believe they got some disciplinary points, which is a penalty points system that, you know, if you contribute too many, then that obviously leads to a considerable punishment. But let's let's be honest, the punishment in this case was fairly perfunctory. There wasn't a lot to it, and and maybe on reflection, you know, that that wasn't exactly how you intended it to 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 play out. I mean, it was more about making a point that you can't just let this kind of abuse slide. Yeah, um, I mean. The fine they received was nothing really. I mean, the actual fine itself, you get fined more for getting red carded, um, which, <laughs> I mean, considering, you know, the, the difference between the two, it's, it's and I suppose, astonishing really. I suppose we should mention that, you know, the course of the investigation played out and it was deemed on the balance of probability that it was a supporter who had shouted this abuse at you. So perhaps there was a, you know, a, a level of, uh, punishment there that was applicable because it wasn't a member of the playing staff, it wasn't a member of the coaching staff, it was a, a supporter and there's only so much that the club can do to control its supporters. Yeah, and there is that side of it. I mean, the, the thing is for all we know, it could have been a player, it could have been part of the, you know, the, the manager staff. We we don't know who said it and we probably never will. Um, but I understand that it could, have, it could quite easily have been a spectator, but they are all part of the same group and yes, the fine is for not being able to control, you know, your supporters, but that that could be anything. I mean, it doesn't, it's not specifically for the problem of homophobic abuse and it leaves very much open to interpretation in that sense. So yes, the, obviously there's the, the final top for appealing, you know, the original decision, but the fact that, you know, I could have made have gone in late at that game, for example, I could have gone in for a two-footed tackle and got a red card and I'd have been fined more for that than I would have done for, you know, for, for them saying homophobic abuse you know, earlier on in the game, it, I can't, no matter which way I look at it, I just cannot make sense of it. And don't get me wrong, it's not about fine. It's not about any of that. It's it's about the 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 action of showing that if you do this, this is what will happen. Completely agree with that. But there's a point where it it, it's, uh, it almost goes well. If this, um, you know, if you do this, this will happen. But you'll sort of get away with it. There's all there's just that little bit of little bit of it taken off at the end there. And 
as a result of, of the incident and what happened, and maybe this would have happened anyway, but Fedora's FC, your club, um, supported the Football v Homophobia campaign during its month of action in February. Um, what would you like to see change that, that could either raise awareness that these incidents continue to happen in men's grassroots football and that they do have an effect? Is it an educational thing that you would like to see, for example, a county FA delivering to clubs in your league? Um, is there another way that we can get a message out there? Because you're, as we've mentioned earlier, you're one of very few kind of out gay players playing, certainly in your region, uh, perhaps more nationally, there's not very, very many people. Um, how would you like to use your experience to, for the greater good, as it were? I think uh, certainly at grassroots level, a lot more can be done. I mean, the way the Premier League, I mean, to look at it from an elite level, the way the Premier League deals with it is, a lot more of because it's a massive, massive platform. I mean, the Premier League is arguably the biggest league in the world, so they have to they have to show that sort of support. They have to show that, and obviously, there's a I think there's two weeks they set aside every December um, for for the Rainbow Laces campaign, and then they do the football versus homophobia one in February. Um, so something along those lines, I think, at a lower level. Um, so maybe every game, I don't know, for two weeks is they have the the football versus homophobia footballs that they play with the, the, the rainbow footballs. And, um, you know, everyone's provided maybe with, you know, the rainbow armband. And um, if a club wants to take part in the rainbow lace campaign, it's a lot easier for them to do that instead of each individual person buying laces or anything like that. Um, so just to make that the show of solidarity a little bit easier to access, I think would be, um, would be what I would, would suggest them. I mean, yeah, just making it easier for them to to show their support. And yeah, then there's the education side of it. Yes, maybe the league provides, let's say, you know, one Sunday after a game is played or um, maybe before they'll get both teams and, you know, they'll they'll do some sort of quick talk um, as to why this campaign is happening and what the aims of it are. And um, to acknowledge the fact that this is an issue. Um, and I think it will get there. I think it, it's slowly dripping down through the, you know, the, the levels, but... If it keeps going at the way it is, I think it will take a lot of years to get to that point. Um, I think by the time that even I probably finish playing, I mean, I'm 23, so I've hopefully still got a lot of years of playing left in me. Um, but I think by the time even I stop, if it continues at the way it is, it'll be getting to those later years of my playing career, if you like, that, that anything would be noticeable. And your confidence, I think, will inspire a lot of, young gay and bi guys you know, who love football, perhaps some who would love to play in a league like yours, but maybe don't feel confident enough to do so because of knowing that these kind of incidents still still happen. Um, what would be kind of your message to them? Because as, as you'll know, there's GFSN football that exists in this country, you know, LGBTQ inclusive leagues and clubs, uh, perhaps not in your region, but in, in big cities and in certainly uh, several clubs in London. Um, perhaps, perhaps you know, some people will think that maybe that route is best for them, but others that would hope to play in a in a in a league that's for everyone, um, which is your league. What what would be your message to them? Those players who are struggling to find their place in the game. I think we need to remember that there's obviously for those sort of leagues is predominantly for you know those sort of people who are who are out and maybe have been out for a little while and they're, they're confident with it. They know who they are and what their feelings are. You know, full credit to those leagues because they're massively important. I mean, I'd love to see leagues like that up here. Um, we don't have, as far as I'm aware, we don't have anything. Um, 
But we need to remember that there are going to be a lot of people like, you know, like me and like others playing but aren't out. Um, so they will have those, those sort of feelings that maybe a little bit of self-doubt. Self -doubt. I mean, for those who will have watched Heart Stuff on Netflix, you'd be able to see, you know, with the whole Nick Nelson sort of site, you know, story of it that, oh, granted, that you know, that that's rugby, but there is going to be things like that in, in football that absolutely is. And, you know, those people who are not 100% sure who they are, they question it and they might even be questioning, you know, their place in the game because of that. Um, we need to show that actually whatever you decide is right for you because it's not about making everyone who's, you know, that way, you know, you know, is either gay or bi or whatever they may be playing, uh, you know, in football that we don't, we're not saying you have to come out by any means. That's, that's a personal decision. That's what you feel is right for you. Um, but we have to make them sh or show them at least that if they do, that's, if, you know, whoever they are, that you, there's not going to be any discrimination. There's not, they're not going to eventually, I'd like to think we'd get to a point where there's not going to be any homophobia use at all. And if there is, it's going to be stamped out pretty damn quick. Um, so we need to get to that point where those who aren't confident with those, you know, who they are, feel like they can be, they can be themselves and they, it doesn't matter. Um, which I think is half the reason why there's no out elite players in the Premier League or at, at that sort of level, because it works from the way up. And everyone, all the elite players will have had to come through grassroots at some point. That, you're not going to start out, you know, straight away, first kick the ball, academy player, you know what I mean? Um, so it works from the ground up. And this is very much building the foundations because that's where we are. We're effectively, without, you know, putting too fine a point at the bottom and at the, at the heart of those foundations for, you know, elite football. And yeah, it all starts from, from grassroots. So it's massively important for for us to grow those roots and build, like I say, build those foundations for for that sort of level. Um, so yeah, in terms of what a message that I would give to to people in my position is that, or maybe in you know whatever position they may be in, is it's getting there slowly. Um, but it, yeah, just have confidence. It's, it's about confidence in yourself, I think, more than anything else, and and knowing what's right and what's wrong. Um, just believing that regardless of who you are or, or what it is you're doing, that you have your place. And if this is what you love, this is where you belong. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise or let you believe otherwise. Um, because ultimately, they're the ones in the wrong and you absolutely have a place in, in football. And even I need to remind myself of this. And what does being a good ally a good teammate look like to you to me it was prime example for i mean i can't think highly enough of my teammates when obviously it happened in january that the very first thing that i heard from the reaction was if it happens again we're walking off the pitch um the only other time i've seen anything close to that was when i don't know if anybody you know remembers it but when england were playing i think it was bulgaria they were playing there was the the racist abuse they were getting and England nearly walked off the pitch. So, I mean, that was the only other time I've seen anything close to anything similar to that. So even then I was a bit blown away by the fact we could be walking off the pitch for this here. Um, so standing up for each, for, for each other. And, you know, if, if there's a player who was in my position, just 
showing your support you don't have to you don't have to fight you don't have to be throwing punches or anything like that because that's not the way to, to solve the problem if anything it just makes it worse um for me a good ally is just being there being a strong support for whoever you know if, if anybody receives homophobic abuse or anything like that is being that strong support making sure you're there for them especially it's so important to mention this during mental health week is to be there and talk to, properly properly listen and talk to them about it because it doesn't matter who you are it, it, it will affect some you know people in whatever way I mean if you're able to brush anything like that off like that off then hats off to you because I know sure as hell that I wasn't able to do it and if it happened again I don't think I'd be able to either to be fair so um yeah being a strong support standing up for um, you know for your teammate and ultimately being there for them when it matters think is is how to be a good ally in that's in that situation well i think you've um, summed it up very very well there and that's a great message for people to take away from this conversation hopefully whether they're lgbtq plus themselves or whether they are an ally and they're listening to this then you know we hope they they go and take that message into their football spaces um zach uh hopefully we've covered quite a lot there in terms of your story if there's anything that we haven't spoken about would you like to kind of share that now or um um, I think we've pretty much covered that that story, to be honest with you. I mean, in terms of has that has you know that side of things finished and is it dead and buried? I, honestly, I don't believe it is. I mean, after you know the the incident was concluded with the uh, with the FA, it was you know there was a social media comment shown to me that um, you know of another derogatory comment, a homophobic comment online uh, within a private group of that team. So. Um, whether that gets gets dealt with or not, I, I don't know at the minute. Um, but clearly, that clearly, you know, the fine didn't work. Um, so, yeah, there's still still things to be done on it. But you know, I'm quite proud to say that I showed proved them wrong and ended up with a top goal scorer trophy at the end of the season to, to show that. So, um, I can take pride in the fact that I've dug my heels in and uh, you know shown the passion that I've got because I'm very very um of much of the belief that don't doubt me because eventually I'll I'll prove you wrong it doesn't matter how long it takes and it won't be probably won't be straight away but I will so and I'd like to think I have so yeah um I think there's still be more to come from it um but yeah it's getting there well I congratulations on your top score achievement and that is a strong message uh you know strong mindset as well on which to kind of conclude our conversation. So uh, thank you so much for, for joining us um, and for being a part of the Football v Homophobia podcast. Uh, it's, been, it's been a really interesting conversation and, and we wish you all the very best for the future and hopefully a future in local Lincolnshire football that is free from any more of this kind of nonsense discrimination. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. And that was Zach Leader in conversation with me for the Football v Homophobia podcast in the week of the annual International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia on May the 17th. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on this episode, or maybe you're interested in sharing your own story, get in touch by emailing info at footballvhomophobia.com or message us via Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Links in the show notes. On behalf of the FEH campaign and Sports Media LGBT+, thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review and share to help us grow. From me and all the team, 
Catch you next time on the Football v Homophobia podcast.